Hey, listen, if, if, you're, if you're a guy, raise your hand. Thank you. If you're coming to the retreat next week, that's going to be awesome. Uh, the, you know, we're going to just, the, the goal of the retreat is really just to meet the Lord. You know, that's the whole goal is the presence of the Lord and with a bunch of other men and probably not as, uh, you know, refined as what women do, but, you know, we don't really want to be that refined anyway. So uh, then uh, if you're a woman, I, unlike the women who have special speakers and they won't bring them to the church on Sunday, I am bringing Larry here Sunday morning. So because actually he wanted to come. <laughs> but I thought it would be good, you know, because <clears throat> he'll be tired of being around a bunch of guys by that point. And I will too, so... So we look forward to next weekend. It's going to be good. So, all righty, let me just pray again to help me. Lord, help. God, you're a mystery, but we enjoy your mysterious nature. And you will reveal yourself to us as we reach out to you because you're reaching out to us. Amen. All right, I'm going to read a pretty well-known story in the Scriptures piece of it anyway. It's in Judges 6. Judges is such a fascinating book to me because it's a book of revivals. Uh, it's a book of God doing spectacular thing and it's a good uh, book of how human beings are just human beings and do some really human stuff. Uh, that's what I love about it because God uh, has interjected himself into the human experience. But I'm going to read in Judges 6, 11 through 15. It's about Gideon. I think probably most of you know about old Gideon. He's pretty famous. But it says the angel of the Lord in verse 6, uh, verse 11, came, uh, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the Abrizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress. Just in case you didn't know that, you don't normally thresh wheat in the winepress. You do it because there's some difficulties. And he was trying to hide it from the Midianites. Because they were raiding them, they would grow their uh, crops and the Midianites would come in and steal them from them. And they were just, it was just a dreadful time in the nation of Israel. It was just a dreadful time. People were starving uh, and, and they were just what little food they had, they were having to hide it. And, and so that was the, sort of the backdrop of the story. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Don't you love that? The Lord is with you. And, of course, Gideon, being a, a wonderful human being as he was, and facing the situation that he was facing, said, uh, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? You ever asked the Lord that question? I hope you have. Uh, if you haven't, you haven't lived, or you haven't been living truthfully. I think we've all asked the Lord. That's a, one of the great questions in the Scripture. Lord, if you're with me, why is this happening? Um, and interesting that God seems to never answer those questions, uh, not in the way we want anyway. And where are all your miracles, Lord, with our, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from e Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Don't you love that? You know, have you ever asked the Lord that? Where are the miracles, Lord? Where, you know, what's going on, Lord? 
why, why aren't you doing what you're supposed to be doing or what you've promised that you're going to do? Uh, have you ever just felt you've been out there with God and, and God didn't show up? You know, how many people have had that feeling that God didn't show like you thought he was? That's a, that's a, that's a dreadful place to be. Uh, that's why I love this book, because it gives us some answers. Then the Lord turned to him. That angel was the Lord, by the way. Uh, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hands of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Go in this might of yours. So he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. There's so much in that that we could learn. Uh, the thing I really want to kind of focus on is this question, This question, uh, how can I? It's the question uh, that I think we've all struggled with in life, uh, particularly when we feel like God speaks to us about something. Uh, if God really speaks to you about something, I believe your response, a, a right response most of the time is going to be this, how can I do this? Right, and, and I think we've all had that question, how can I, even about other things in life. It's a, it's a real question in life, like uh, just, you know, if you want to buy something that you can't afford, how can I do this? It's a question that man carries in his heart about many things, and in particular the things that God, when God begins to speak to people and reveal himself to people, that's a real and a living question that, that God draws out of us. I believe that's a question that God wants us to ask Him. Uh, I think the Christian life, you know, the mystery of the Christian life is is is, uh, is pretty much illustrated here that, that we find ourselves in situations that are just flat impossible and, and where there's not really any good answers. That's one of the reasons I'm really fascinated with some of the miracles of Jesus, especially miracles like the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, here you find uh, these people that were just starving. They were hungry, and the Lord did not want to just send them home because He knew they were so weak in their, within their bodies that they would pass out on, along the way. That's what He said. And, and He was challenging His disciples, who happened to also be very wore-out people because they were tired. If you read the whole story, you discover that they, that situation happened when those men were wore out. In fact, the Lord Himself had really tried to take them to a place of rest, and the 5,000 saw them going to their place of rest and showed up there. It's like there was no, no rest for the weary. I don't know if you've ever felt like that in your life, where it's your, just one thing after the other after the other, and you, that's, I've actually said that. There's just no rest for the weary. It's, it's one thing after the other. And that was the state they found themselves in, and they, they found themselves just in this impossible thing where there was these people that needed feeding, there was no money, there was no resources, there was really nothing that they could really do, and the Lord was saying, you feed them. You know, and that's the way, and I think the thing that that I've discovered about God is that God uh, interjects us into a life that's messy. If you have this illusion about Christianity that it's neat and tidy, you're living in an illusion. The world we live in is in a disastrous mess, and it's always been in a disastrous mess ever since Adam and Eve made their mistakes in the garden. And we have this illusion 
in our lives sometimes that when we get saved and we become a believer, that everything's going to be beautiful and wonderful. It's not. I'm sorry to tell you. It is not everything's going to be wonderful and beautiful. You're put in a world that's desperately need in need of a Savior. You're put in a world that's desperately need the answers that you and I carry in our hearts. If you think about the, the case of the world today, I was actually leading. I'm thinking, oh, we have a world now where North Korea is launching uh, missiles out of a submarine. That's a significant. A submarine could ride to our shores and launch a missile right into our laps this morning from North Korea if we have failure. Oh, we have uh, bathroom wars going on. Would you ever dreamed in America there would be an argument about, about bathrooms? The only argument I ever proposed about a bathroom is who's going to clean it, right? <laughs> but so our, uh, we, have, we have fallen so far down that the, the big conversation on the news is about bathrooms and about who can use what bathrooms. Like that's a conversation that we need to be having. But that just shows the, the state of, of the world we live in is we live in a messy world. We live in a messy world. And, and Gideon was living in a very messy world. He was living in a world of, of disasters. And God showed up one day to speak to him. God showed up. And Gideon's response was not only do I not have the resources, I don't have the money, I don't have the, the people, I don't have anything, I don't even have a good testimony. Anybody here feel like that? I don't have a background of God using me miraculously. God's never showed up in my background. Best, my, my greatest miracle, and will always be my greatest miracle, is I got saved. But it seems to be that's my only miracle. You ever felt that way? God did that one miracle in my life. I'm so thankful for it, but that seems to, to be the end of my miracles. Uh, because, And I think many people feel that way. Because we're put in situations where we don't have the answer. And many Christians, they withdraw in that moment. They withdraw from, from the thing in front of them because it's too messy, it's too nasty, it's too disastrous. I think a lot of times when we think about testimonies, we love to hear testimonies of God moving. And testimonies are beautiful from a distance. They sound beautiful from a distance. But if you could just go behind the scenes, if you could just go to the place of the testimony, and you will find the testimony was a mess. It was a disaster there. That's why there's a testimony. You don't have a testimony by living a, a, a beautiful life. You have a testimony because you've lived through hardship. And you've seen God move. You've grabbed God somewhere in that. And see, God wants to change people's minds about this world we live in. And about the power of testimony. It doesn't matter if you're bankrupt testimony-wise this morning. It doesn't matter. Gideon was bankrupt. He didn't come from the right family. He didn't come from the right tribe. He was sort of a disaster himself. And God chose to visit this person. The least in his family. The least family in the, in the whole clan. And the, the clan was the least family in the whole nation. And God chose to visit that man. Hiding. Afraid. Trying to feed his family. And God showed up that day with him and began to speak something to him. And no wonder he asked the Lord, Where is the miracles, God? Why have you forsaken you? He would be an absolute idiot if he didn't. And so would you. You would be a religious fool to approach God any other way. God wants us to get real with him in those moments. When, when, when everything's down and God's speaking promises over to you, he wants you to get real what's really in your heart. I don't want to hear a bunch of stuff, you know, high platitude thoughts. 
When you hear that, you know that person hasn't really heard from God. You know they haven't really walked in a place of sorrow. You know they haven't walked in a place of defeat. It's those who've walked in those places and somehow they've been able to grab hold of God in those places. That's what a testimony is. That's where the power of God gets released. I have found that God's power is released somewhere in that low point. It's not in those high points. It's in those low points, those low miserable places. You know, those places where you feel embarrassed, where you feel humiliated, you feel like a failure. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Where you just feel like you're just doomed. You know what? I'll tell you, this is how you feel every time you get in a hard place. You feel ashamed, like there's something wrong with me. I don't know about you. That's how I have felt. I didn't want to show my face. I didn't want nobody to see, you know, see me in my low place. Well, that's the very place where God wants to meet you. The devil uh, tricks you into thinking there's something wrong with you. Well, if you were a better believer and if you believe what you said, this wouldn't be happening or you would be acting this way, you'd be stating this. Well, that's not true. Are y'all following this this morning? And, you know, here, here we are. Uh, the Lord was talking to, to Gideon about saving an entire nation. An entire nation. This little man save an entire nation. Isn't it remarkable that God would do that? Uh, years ago, uh, it's actually in 2004 or five, I guess. I'm not really good with time for some reason, years. You know, Dean Stein, he's not here. I'll put him down. And, but he can tell you the day he was born again and what time it was, the first day he walked into this church, how old his kids were, what, you know. He can tell you details that you don't even want to know about the first day he ever swung a golf club. Like, who cares, Dean? I mean, you ain't got any better, right? <laughs> Anyways, God bless old Dean. Anyways, Lord bless him. He's, you know, I would say the same thing to him. I told him that last time I played golf. You, you know, you ain't played in a year and you're still no good. Nothing's working. <laughs> Anyways, I was listening to Roland and Heidi Baker just tell these beautiful testimonies. Uh, they're, if you don't know who they are, they are missionaries to Mozambique. They minister to the poorest of the poor. That's what they say. The poorest of the poor. I've seen pictures of some of the people they've ministered. People who their clothes are literally tattered rags, barely covering their body. And eat uh, leaves off the ground to stay alive. I remember hearing that once they showed up at a conference and the people had walked for weeks to get there. Weeks, walked for weeks to hear something from God. And how can you imagine facing a crowd like that? I'll tell you, you might think you want to face a crowd like that until you face a crowd like that and realize their need far exceeds your ability. Far exceeds your ability. Far exceeds your little preaching. Uh, it's, it's, it's all of this is vanity. That's how you would feel about it. That's how they felt. This is vanity. What we got is vain. We have nothing. That's the place where God shows up. And that's why they have so many miracles because they're in that place where absolutely if God doesn't show up, what they carry, what they bring is nothing. Nobody in their right mind would sign up for that apart from God saying, I'm sending you to that. But I was listening to their testimony and as my, what many people do, I don't know if y'all do this, I don't know if I'm just a messed up person, but the thoughts in my mind begin to be this, well, what am I doing in my life? You ever, you know what I'm saying? It went so far as I'm thinking, I don't even know if I'm saved anymore. Because <laughs> they were just telling about all these glorious things that God was doing. And I'm looking at my life thinking, 
I'm just barely making it through the day. I'm discouraged. I'm having a hard time. The offering wasn't enough, you know. You know, this and that, just ridiculously foolish, naive, stupid things. That's the way it felt to me. And then Roland said something. He said, here's the truth about all this. We didn't choose any of this. God gave us all this. God did this. We didn't do it. God gave us this. We never chose to walk in this and to see the power of God like this. God did it. He chose to give us this. And that's really what happened with Gideon. Gideon didn't do anything. God just chose to drop something into his lap and tell tell him to go and do this. And his question was this, how can I do this? And that's what Roland, I remember that was the thing that stuck out to me that day. He said, he was telling all these stories of impossible stories. I don't remember all of them. I just remember one particular detail that he was talking about. It was some starving children. And somebody gave them a bunch of frozen chickens. And they were going to fly these frozen chickens to where these children that were on the brink of death were. And the airplane was broke down. And they had the chickens sitting out in the runway on the hot sun. And the chickens... The, and, the, and it was melting, and the chickens were soon to you know, rot or you know, go bad. And they're desperately trying to get this airplane fixed, and the parts that they needed were, and even they had the parts, it was too late. And somehow God, at the last moment, did a miracle. At the last moment, did a miracle, and they were able to fly the food to the children, and the children lived. Isn't that amazing? It sounds like an amazing, beautiful testimony, but I promise you if you were there trying to start that airplane on that hot runway that day, it probably didn't feel amazing. It probably didn't feel beautiful, and you were probably wondering, Why am I, what am I doing with my life? Why am I even trying to do this, Lord? Because you're not helping me. Why would you lead me on like this and give me these frozen chickens to feed these children? Now they're going to rot in my airplane. And Roland's thought was this. You know, what we got to start doing is quit asking God the how. God tells you the what. you got to forget the how, you see. That was the question that, that Gideon says, how am I going to do this? And Roller's question is, is, all I need to know is what God wants to do. He's going to have to work the how out. The how belongs to God. The what belongs to us. And I think when you begin to live your life, Like that, instead of trying to figure out how God is going to do something that can't be done, that's when you can begin to see God move. And let me tell you the really beautiful news about this. Uh, God did actually tell Gideon how he was going to do it. He actually gave him the answer. And it was, it's really, it's verse 16. And this is what he said. I'll be with you. That was God's answer to Gideon. How am I going to save the nation, Lord? How am I going to defeat uh, the Midianites? I'll be with you. That was the only thing God told him. I'll be with you. All that business that he did after that, y'all know about that fleece, and that was just him. God had already told him, this is how this thing's going to work. I'm going to be with you. 
It's not the answer we're looking for. Most of the time when we feel like we're, we're called to do something or we believe we want to do something, we begin to take a look at what we have to be able to do it. As one great preacher said, you know, the presence of God is not something that you can put on a ledger or on a, you can document in your financial statements uh, that says, I have enough money to get on the airplane to go to this place. Right? That's not what the present. It's not the kind of natural, uh, uh, you know, resource that you can lay your hands on and see. It's an invisible resource. It's a, a resource that sometimes it feels like it's a billion miles away. Like, is there even such a thing as the presence of God? That's the thing that God's given us. It's His presence. That's His only answer for Gideon, really, was I'll give you my presence. My presence will be with you. That's how you're going to do this thing. And everything else will work out. Gideon, everything else will work out because my presence is with you and I've sent you to do this. I've sent you to do this. And see, what happens is is we're looking for some other resource. We're looking for some other answers. Aren't you not? Aren't we all looking for those other answers besides God just saying a simple thing to us? My presence is with you. And all through the Bible, what you'll find over and over and over and over, that was the one thing that God consistently said to people when He put them in impossible situations. That was His one resource that He offered people. All this other stuff is secondary. All this other stuff, if you can have all the other stuff, but if you don't have the presence of God, you're headed for defeat. At the end of the day, you're going to come up short. And at the end of the day, things are not going to work the way he would hope. Are y'all following that? Um, <clears throat> let me just read this other verse here that's really amazingly awesome. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, in the Old Testament. It's Exodus 3, 11 and 12. Uh, verse 12 has been one of my verses for ages. Uh, this was Moses talking to God after God had spoke to him about freeing Israel, another impossibility. Um, people had been in bondage for 400 years, and here he is, you know, given the task of leading them away from that bondage. And Moses said to God, Who am I? Anybody ever had that question? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? That's another question a lot of people ask is, Who am I? Uh, you know, there really is something in the in the atmosphere about identity today. It's not just a clever, uh, popular thought. I think the whole bathroom thing is a sign of something is wrong with identity in people. Something's wrong. I mean, you know, that shouldn't be a question. And it speaks to something's wrong in people's hearts. It's not just that government's wrong. Actually, it seems they're on the wrong side lots of times. That they're helping the enemy perpetuate this marred identity that's been put on people. Where people could not understand a basic thing like if they're a man or a woman. You gotta, we had to think about this for a moment. And I'm not down on people who have that issue. They're no different from any of us this morning. They've just, it's just gotten further down the road with them. But all of us have suffered 
with this thing called identity. There's not a person in this room who hasn't. And if you say you haven't, you're, you're living in delusion. You're living a, a life of illusion. Because we've all suffered with that. Because that's what the enemy does to everyone. Wasn't that the thing that God did with Jesus when he baptized him? He spoke his identity to him. That was the first thing. You, you, this is who you are, Jesus. You are my beloved son. That's who you are. Did you not think if that was important to God for him to do that with Jesus, it would be important for us to get some identity straightened out in our life? That's what that tells me. Our identity is important. It, it wasn't like Jesus really needed that, right? We needed it. So he subjected himself to it. So, but this is amazing that what, are y'all okay? This is amazing that God, that Moses says, who am I? And God says, he gives him this beautiful answer, I will certainly be with you. Same answer. You see, let me just suggest something to you. I think sometimes we're trying to find our identity in the wrong way. Where God was saying to Moses simply, it's like God was ignoring the question almost, he, but he really wasn't. He was really telling him something. Moses, this is who you are. You're the guy that I'm going with. You're the guy that I'm with. And I'm always going to be with you, Moses. That's who you are. You're that guy that I love and I want to be with. Therefore, you can do what I'm telling you to do. And you see, I think sometimes we're trying to find identity. Even in the church, we're trying to find identity instead of finding this presence. It's a, if when we find the presence of God, when we find that... That that becomes the most important thing in our life, the most valued thing in our life, then our identity thing can begin to get worked out in our life. Now, that's the truth. That's, I believe that's what the Bible teaches us. Do you think that God would say to Jesus, You're my beloved son, I'll see you later? No. No, he, no you're my beloved son, I'm with you, you're with me, all I have is yours. That's what he was telling him. And, and that's really how we, what God wants to do for us. That's what, that's what the world needs. That's what these people who are suffering desperately about their identity, that has gone so far with it, that they're so confused, they need to know from God that God, the presence of God, is with them. And He's there for them. And He wants them. He loves them. He wants to show His care for them. I'll tell you, that's, that's the answer for identity. Later, yeah, the kingdom. Later, um, you know, there was a lot of happened later on, you know, with Moses. I'm back to Moses. 30 chapters later, actually, a lot of stuff can happen in 30 chapters in the Bible. Trust me. You know, it's a lot of people like read the book of Acts and they think, oh, Lord, why ain't this stuff happening? Well, the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts is 10 years. A lot of people don't know that. It's 10 years. It, all that stuff didn't happen in a, uh, in a short period of time. It took 10 years for all these things to happen. And that, that kind of gives you a different thought, doesn't it? But it shouldn't give you a thought that God doesn't want to move in power. But it should give you, it's like, let's get real with God here. Anyways, 30 chapters later, God, there were some issues. God finally said this to Moses. Hey, listen, I'm going to send you all on now. I'm going to send my angel, my angel with you. 
That's what he told him. I'm sending an angel with you. After he had told him, I'll be with you. Moses was a brilliant man at that point. He'd already been in God's presence and realized the best thing about him was the presence of God. He realized the greatest resource I have is God. It ain't anything else. And he said, Lord, if you don't go with us, we're not going. Because how in the that's the only thing that differentiates us from the rest of the people on the planet is your presence. And I'm going to tell you something. For Christians, for the body of Christ, that is the only thing we really have. That is our great resource is God's presence. And if we don't have that, and if we're not going after that, if that's not our highest value as a people, then we have faltered and we've failed because we've made something else bigger than that. You can make a lot of things greater than God's presence. The church can, Christians can. You can make your calling, you can make your dreams, you can make your vision, you can make the great commission, you can make saving the world and fixing the world, you can make all that greater than the presence of God. But at the end of the day, you've made a mistake. At the end of the day, you're going to come up short. And see, God's looking for a, a people who will decide and make decisions in their heart that His presence is more important than anything else. Because His, impres- His presence ensures us of something. It ensures us of whatever He has truly called us to do and whoever He's truly called us to be will succeed in those two areas. You don't, we don't need to do anything. You see, that was the thing He said to Gideon. Haven't I sent you? And not only have I sent you, I'm going with you. Amen. And that's the, that's the answer. We had to get those things answered in our hearts about what we're doing with our life. Has God sent me? If He has truly sent me, He guarantees us to be with us. But He does not guarantee Himself to go and do things, even awesome things, even wonderful things, if He's not sent us to do them. He doesn't guarantee, He does not promise us. And I'll tell you another thing. He doesn't promise us we can go off and, and start well, but we can end bad because somewhere along the line, we lost what was important. We lost Him. And this is, this is, this thing, this sounds really simple, okay? But this is a really profound statement to me. Well, it's profound because the Lord told me this recently a few times. This, Byron, is not about you. This is not about you. It's about me. And when we begin to live our Christian life and live what we're doing where it's not about us, it's not about what we're doing and all about what we want, what about we feel, well, I feel like God's told this. That really doesn't matter in the end. What really matters is about Him. When we begin to really put that as our focus and whatever we're doing and wherever we're going, that's when we can really, where God will, God will show up. But let me just say this. If God sends you, if God speaks to you, if God says, I want you to do this, I want you to get this in your mind. You're going to walk into a mess. You're going to walk into a disaster. Because God has no interest. What did he say? Hey, you know, when he was talking about John the Baptist, he's not some dude thrown up in a castle somewhere. Well, you know, if you're looking for the guy in the castle, they're in the castle. We're not in the castle. They got it made already. They don't need us. That's what he was saying. We're out here where it's terrible. We're out here where it's hard. And see, that's how we're able to get through the hard. It's God's out there with us. And that makes the hard, we can find what 
the worship team was trying to tell us this morning through the Spirit of God, the beauty of God is there in the heart because Amen. He's there. <clears throat> One of the things that happened to King David, are y'all good? Yeah. One of the things that happened to King David, y'all know he was a, a beautiful man, right? He was, uh, you know, actually the, in the New Testament, David is the most quoted guy or the most talked about guy in the New Testament of anybody from the Old Testament. Isn't that amazing? It's awesome. But, and it says he's a man after God's heart in uh, Acts 13. Well, we know, all, we know David had a terrible failure in his life. I can remember one time being at the beach, laying on the beach at Myrtle Beach, and uh, a plane flew by with those things. They, I don't know if they still do them or not. With the things on where they advertise restaurants, and it, David and Bathsheba. See, that's what the world knows. David and Bathsheba. That's, we all know, everybody knows that David blew, blew it bad. You know, but yet the New Testament testifies he's a man after God's heart. When he came to his senses finally, after just after making a huge mess, I mean, can you imagine what he felt like? Here's this man who had walked with God and experienced the presence of God like nobody else and knew the heart of God. And, and he was a man rich in testimony. He was wealthy in testimony. And he finds himself committing adultery and having the husband killed so he won't get caught. And then there's a baby that that's, comes out of the deal and the baby dies. I mean, he was in a terrible mess. And when he finally came to his senses and prayed, one of the first things he said was this, God, don't take your presence from me. Because David knew that was the one thing in his life that made the most difference in his life. And that was his first request to God, is don't take your presence from me. That's Psalm 51. That's his prayer. Now, we may say, well, God would never do that because we live in the New Covenant. I'm just trying to get you to see a person's heart. Amen. That what he valued more than he valued his position as a king, what he valued more than his position of anything was the presence of God. He made that his number one priority. She quoted it, I think. What was that psalm? One thing have I desired. One thing. That's the most, and he was saying, that's the most important thing is God's presence. Well, here's a New Testament thought. Y'all all know the Great Commission, right? Everybody knows that. I hope you do. You probably should know that. Actually, the Great Commission is found in all four Gospels, but the one in Matthew is the most famous. And this is the last verse in the Great Commission in Matthew. And listen to what this beautiful thing says when he's giving people a commission, giving us. He's, you know, he said, And then teaching them, talking about the people you're going to bring the good news to, Teaching them all things that I have commanded you. And listen, lo, listen, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you always. See, God has really promised us, you know, in what He's, when He sends us, when He calls us, when He puts something in our hearts, He's promised us. Jesus affirmed all of this that God wants to be with us. And God is looking for a people that will want Him with them. He wants us to want Him. God wants us to want Him. And God wants us to make Him the most important person in this church. His presence. And even though His presence is confusing at times, and sometimes His presence is unfelt, that's why I say God's a mystery. He wants us to desire something that sometimes is so real to you, but there's other times when you just wish and, and are hoping that 
what you thought and what you believed was true. And that's where a lot of people get off the rail because it's not always the same. His presence is not always the same. But I tell you, His presence is the, is, is the best thing we have. It's the number one thing we have. It's the highest value that we have, if indeed that is your highest value in your life. And that's the question you need to ask yourself this morning. Is God's presence the most important thing to me in my life? Yes. Is it, you, know, you really need to ask that question and answer it honestly. Uh, the answer can be no, if that's the true answer. God's not offended. God's not upset. God's not shocked that you would say to Him, No, I don't, your presence really isn't. You know, truthfully, Lord... These other things are more important to me when, if you really want to get right down to it. That's a, that's a very legitimate and real answer. And that's an answer you should give God if that's the truth. Because God doesn't want you to say to Him, your presence is the most important thing to me, but you just do exactly opposite with your life. Where you, you don't really realize... you. you like the presence of the Lord. What what am I doing? What am I saying? How am I acting? All this, it makes you think about all that because you realize if I want God to be with me, I don't need to be acting so so badly. So let me just <clears throat> reiterate one thing. Um, I think what when the Lord what I've come to understand about this what he said to Gideon and go in this might of yours is the might is the presence of the Lord. That's, that's what I really believe. That's Gideon's might. Go in this might of yours. And here's what this might is. It's me. It's me. I'm your might. And so you go in this might that I've given you. I've given you my presence. That's how you go in. That's what you do with your life. That's how you face the problems that you face. That's how you deal with the situations that you deal with. Is that you go with the might of God, the presence of God. And you bring that presence and you allow that presence to be the most important thing to you. And when it comes down to offending a person versus offending that presence, you don't even, you've already decided way ahead of time, I'm going to do everything I can to be nice and graceful, but I'm not going to offend this presence. I'm not going to do that because that would be foolish. You know. That's so good, Byron. It is. <laughs> it is. So, I want you to know this morning, one, this is not about you. Whatever it is, it's just not about you. Just get over it. Okay, get over it. And God will take great pleasure sometimes in putting you in situations where you desperately need Him just to prove to you, this is not about you. And if I don't show up, you are going to be in bad. You're going to be in a bad place. You're going to be, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. Do you want to fail? No, I don't want to fail, Lord. I hate failure. Well, then get this. This is not about you. So you might want to thank the Lord if you're a person this morning and you got failure in your life. You might want to thank the Lord that He let things fail in your life. You might want to get on your knees this morning and thank God that burned down. Thank God it burned down because it taught me. It taught me the difference between my anointing and His anointing. My calling and His calling. My sending 
and him the one who sent me. You see, when we start getting that, then something changes because your calling is not going to work. Let me, I, I wanted to finish, but I do want you all to get this. Here's what God wants to do. God wants to take your gifting, your calling, your visions, your dreaming, and He wants to dip them into the Spirit. And when you do that, that brings everything up. Because suddenly it ain't just that, just you. It ain't just your anointing. Your anointing is not going to be good enough. I'm telling you it's not. It's boring. Seriously. Our anointing out apart from the Holy Spirit is very boring. Our callings are boring. All this is boring. Church is boring. It's all. You can have the... It's amazing. God's amazing, isn't he? All right, so I'm going to pray for you. I don't think y'all getting that part. That was actually what I just said was the most important part to me for the whole thing. That's why I want to say all this. You know why I want to say all this? Because I don't know what it is, but God did something in me. He just, he just crushed my heart. I can't explain it to you, but I just feel crushed on the inside. And I feel like I want to say to God, Lord, I feel I, I have blown it. I have blown it over and over. I get in trouble, things don't work, and I blow it. And I want to not do that, but I don't want no more trouble either at the same time. I'm not asking for trouble. But I just, I just really want to say, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. I'm making a decision. God, you're the most important person. And I'm going to live that way. That's how. That's what I'm doing. And I just really want you to do that if, if you want to. So I'm going to pray for you. Lord, I just pray for everybody. There's lots of powerful anointings in this room, by the way. And giftings and callings and purposes and dreams. Oh, Lord, there they really is. And there's a disaster happening in our world right now. This disaster is happening all around the world. All around the world, there's disasters. There's, there's earthquakes, and people, people are dying because they're earthquakes. Okay? They're dying. There's, people are dying. And people are dying because we heard last night in Mozambique that there's a, there was a bad drought there. And then it rained so much that all the crops the people did have got washed away. And nobody has any food, and people are starving to death right now. And they were saying... It costs five cents a day. This is the baker's ministry. Five cents a day to keep a person alive. Five cents. But we don't have five cents. That was their thing. We don't have it. We can't keep anybody alive. There's all this stuff going on in the world. The United States of America looks like it's going down. I mean, it's, got, it's in bad shape. God has put us here in this hour for this. We've got, we've got the answer. We got, if we've got the presence of God, we have everything that's needed. We can say, Lord, how am I going to make a difference? My presence is with you. How, how am I going to do anything? My presence is with you. And somehow we just got to take him at his word and just go with that. Make sure, you know, you feel like God's sending you. I mean, you got to get that part because if he ain't, you know, it's not going to work. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can confess it all day, but it doesn't work. It only works when He really has sent you and His presence really is with you. But God wants to be with people. Even just in your own family, in your own marriage, your children, all that. That's so important to God. So, Lord, we just ask you to help us today concerning your presence. I just pray for everybody in here, Lord, that you give them a hunger for your presence. Lord, that they would, they would feel your presence, they would experience your presence, they would have an encounter with your presence, Lord. And it would cause this hunger, it would cause this hunger to rise in their heart, Lord. And they wouldn't feel satisfied no more with a life apart from your presence. That everybody in this room would be like Moses. Like, no, if you, I don't care, you can do a thousand supernatural things. Ten thousand angels can march in front of me and behind me and all around me. But if your presence is not here, take the angels... And pack them up and send them back. Well, God, we've got to have you. We've got to have you. We've got to have your manifest presence, Lord. That's what we're holding out for. That's what we're believing for, Lord. You said, you said you'd be with us, Lord. You said you'd be with us. You said it. Now, how many people in here have a decision to make in their life? How many people in here feel like God's calling them to do something? Raise your hand. Put both your hands up. Both of them. Because I want to pray. I want to pray this. This is the ones that I love that young people feel that. I, maybe some other old people need to feel that. Because everybody really has a calling. Open the ears of everybody, Lord, and let them hear that whisper from heaven that you're saying, hey, the great commission's for all of us. And part of the great commission is a promise from God that He'll be with you. That's, it's a promise from God, from Christ Himself. He said, I'll be right there with you. I'll walk every step of the way with you. And I will do what you can't do. In fact, I'll make this beautiful for you. I'll make it awesome for you. But the Lord wants you to know, He's walking you into a mess. He's walking you into calamity. He's walking you into pain and sorrow and other people's failures. And that's why some of you have failed so much that you'll be able to walk into those failures and you'll know what it feels like to be on the bottom and you'll know the way out and I just pray for everybody Lord we just release that to them afresh and for all the rest of us who don't feel it Lord I believe they still have it the commission in this world I pray in Jesus name Lord we could just all stand up it's really good wow it's good straightforward, simple, straighten you out message, right? It's good. So if we could get the ministry team up, we want to pray for people this morning who really, I'm, I was just feeling like, um, feeling like people who feel like they're kind of clogged up and not sensing the presence of the Lord. I just saw like a chimney sweep. It's time for a chimney sweep. And um, if that's you, the ministry team want to pray for you because we really do need to be able to sense his presence. So um, that's really important in our lives. So just encourage you to come up and get prayer about that. And the other thing is, too, is I feel like the Lord wants to say to us, he really doesn't hide himself from us. It's really not what he's doing. And if you have felt that, it's a lie. So the Lord really does want to reveal His presence to us. And 
Just feel like the ministry team has things to release this morning. I believe that. So just come and get prayer. So, Lord, we thank you this morning for your presence. Lord, we ask you that your presence would go with us as we go out of here today. Lord, that there would be an increase, Lord, of your presence in our life, in our daily life, in every place we go, everything we set our hand to. Lord, in our jobs, with our families, Lord, in our night, in our sleep, Lord, in our relationships. Lord, we're asking you, we desire, Lord, that our eyes would be set on you, that you are the source of all life. Lord, forgive us for our eyes being upon ourselves. Lord, we just cast that aside now. We take the freedom that you're handing us, that this is about you and about your presence going with us in all that we do in the name of Jesus. And we just bless you today. We say go in the power of his might and in his presence. In Jesus' name, amen.